Thank you, Mike, and thank you all the volunteers who are making this worship service possible. Thank you for people who are in the studio, who are broadcasting the service. And um, my name is Zhenya. I'm one of the pastors. I'm not a regular preacher here. Our pastor Lance is on vacation. He will be back next week. So um, I am uh, stepping up for him. Now, um, this scripture that Mike just read for us there was a verse in the end that I wonder if it caught your attention and sounded somewhat familiar. My Bible says that, um, no, uh, let's see, he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. That is what my translation says. When I read that, I just had those bells kind of ringing. Hold on, I heard it somewhere. I heard several times, in fact, people telling me, God is not going to give you more than you can't bear. Have you heard that one or some version of it? Looks kind of similar, huh? It does. God doesn't give you more than you can handle is another uh, one that I heard. And you know what? Each time I heard people tell me that, I kind of felt uncomfortable. What does that even mean? God doesn't give you more than you can't handle or God doesn't give you more than you can't, um, <clears throat> can get through. What does that mean? What kind of a... What are, we te- what are we telling people? That that pain or whatever the problems that are uh, on you right now or whatever, whatever struggles you are going on, you know, first of all, we say one thing. We say, God is giving you that. And plus, we are, we, are, we are saying that it's kind of intentional and that God is somehow measuring what is your ability to sustain, to, to survive, to go on, to carry on. And how does that measure up to how much God is going to put on your plate? Oh, I don't like that at all. In fact, I wonder how many of you, when you've heard that phrase, uh, when you also kind of were like, hmm, hmm, not comfortable. You know what? When, our, when we get that gut feeling, when, when, when we feel some kind of red flags, you know, it sounds like it should be in the Bible. It sounds like it may be in the Bible, but we kind of don't like it. You know what? I encourage you to actually trust that feeling because I'm going to challenge you and say, what if it's the Holy Spirit inside you telling you that that is not really truth? Because that's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit to tell us what is the true and what is not true. So when you get that feeling, you're like, hmm, is that in the Bible? Is that really in the Bible? Because like I said, it sounds like it may be in the Bible, just like that phrase. We use it so much. We hear it a lot. Well, trust the Holy Spirit, or the gut feeling, whatever you call it, and look further. One of the ways how we can test whether something should be in the Bible, is in the Bible, whether what people are telling you is truth or not, is to ask yourself a question. What does that tell us about God? When we say God doesn't give you more than you can handle, what does that tell us about God? What kind of God we Imagine when we hear that, like I said, a God who is sitting there measuring our spiritual, physical ability not to collapse, not to break down, as God is putting on another side, you know, more and more and more pressure and pain and uh, whatever, whatever it is. Is that the kind of God that we pray to? Is that the kind of God that Clint just led us in worship when we were singing about God's love and grace? No, 
In fact, when I think about it more and more, which I did a lot during this week, I'm sorry, my mind was going to some kind of a episode of the Game of Thrones, you know, when you're like, I'm just going to see how much pain you can carry. That is not our God. So I'm so glad that we are doing, uh, we're working on this text today because I want to challenge you in that. And another thing that you can do when you have some doubts, is it in the Bible? Is it really true? Does, that, is that a part of our faith? Is that what we are supposed to believe? Okay, if it doesn't pass the test and you still are very confused about what kind of God that is, and that's not really the God I believe in, that matches this phrase, well, do the next step. Just Google it. That's what I did. I Googled, you know, when I, when I read that, that verse, and I'm like, that sounds so similar to what I hear all the time. Is there like some other place in the Bible that says that? So I Googled it. I Googled it. I'm like, is God doesn't give us more than we can handle in the Bible? Got my answer. Nope. But this exact verse is where it kind of came from. Now, that, that, that's, that's where I got really passionate about it. Um, so, what does this verse say? Like I said, my Bible say, has the word testing in, in uh, verse 13. No testing has overtaken you. And then um, uh, later in that verse, God is faithful. He will not let you be tested beyond your strength. Now, I don't like that word. And by the way, if, that, if that's what your Bible says, I encourage you to take right now a pen or a pencil or something and kind of scratch it out or put an asterisk next to it and write the word tempted. Temptation. This text is about temptation. It's not about testing our ability to endure pain and suffering and go on when we can't go on anymore. That is not what this text is about. This text is about temptation. So if your Bible has temptation and tempting and tempted there, highlight it and remember that that is what it's about. It's about temptation, not about our spiritual and physical ability to get through really, really hard times in our lives. Temptation. Lance preached about it a few weeks ago, and now we are back to it. I wonder why. You know why? Because temptations are everywhere. I'm sorry, these gems that Elaine prepared for us, that some of you have been taking and collecting through the season of land to remind you of different stumbling blocks that could be turned into stepping stones, if those gems signify temptations, we don't have enough, Elaine. Because they're everywhere. If temptations are our stumbling blocks, then I'm sorry, you guys on some really bumpy Russian road after a very hard winter, full of potholes. Boom, 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 boom. That's my child's favorite game. That Theo loved it when I would take him on my lap and do like, uh, and I'm like, Theo, you want to play Russian road? He's like, yeah. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, that's what it would be like if temptations were stumbling stones, because they are everywhere. They're literally everywhere. And that is what Paul says, that, yeah, guys, temptations, everywhere. Pay attention. Be mindful of them. They are around. They are always around. And that's why he keeps referring to several uh, stories um, that uh, he mentions here. Several, uh, he reminds people who know Old Testament better than us. We need reminders, we need references, we need Google to help us find those stories. People that Paul wrote to, they knew what he was talking about. The first one uh, story that he mentions is, remember the golden calf when people 
created an idol and started worshiping him. That was a temptation, a golden calf. Now, we looking at that like, well, I, I don't really feel a desire to create an idol in my backyard and worship him. That's not what it's about. Hang in there. Let me, let me show you what it's about. The Israelites were at the bottom of the mountain, very uncertain about what's going to happen in their life. Very uncertain, having no idea where they're going, what's the next step's going to be, what's going to happen. Moses goes up into the mountain, and all they see is big smoky clouds and rumble and lightning for days. Literally, nothing is happening for days. And they're just sitting there in their uncertainty. And when we are uncertain about our future, when we are not very comfortable where we are, but we don't know where to go next, temptations come up. And one of the temptations is to, to move to something more certain, to move to something that we can see and understand. And that's what the Israelites did. They look at the mountain, they look at the smoky cloud. Moses has been gone for days. So what do we do? We don't understand that God. That God is taking too long. That God is scary. That seems like that God is not doing anything about our situation right now. We need help right now. So what do we do? We're going to settle for something less, but for something more certain. We're going to create our own God. And that's the God that we're going to worship, and it's made out of gold, and we can see it. It's shiny, it's pretty, it's right in the middle. Let's party. Let's relieve that stress. Let's move away from that place of uncertainty. Let's forget about the doubts and the questions and the fears. Let's focus on something new and shiny, something that we can see, and that is going to take a place of God. Yes, sometimes God is very uncertain. Sometimes we go for very long periods of times when we have no idea, God, what are you doing? Where are you? Give me an answer. Show me. And nothing comes in. Nothing comes in. You look up like the Israelites. Look up. Boom. Still the cloud over the mountain. Nothing changed. So there is a temptation of create something more certain. Now, I can relate to that. Like I said, I'm not really feeling about building idols in my backyard, but I can relate to not being patient with God, but instead stepping into something that I create myself, an opportunity, a path that I kind of lay out myself that's more certain. Now, is it the right path? Is that path leading anywhere? Probably not. We know from the Israelite story it's not, but that's a temptation. <clears throat> Second temptation that um, Paul reminds his church in Corinth uh, has something to do with marrying Moabite women. Now, again, marrying foreign women is okay now, because if it was not, my husband would be the first in trouble. He married one. All right, so we're going to lay that aside. So what's the problem, Moses? <laughs> Moses or Paul? Why are you mentioning that? I mean, it's okay to marry outside your ethic or, um, or your cultural group. Well, yeah, of course it's okay. But there are strings attached. There were strings attached to those marriages that led the Israelites first to marry a woman that was outside of their group, but then they started worshiping her gods. That's where the problems are. So for us, how do we relate to that? Well, there is always some kind of a new shiny thing. 
And we want to be there, we want to be part of a certain community, it's something new, something fancy, something that we haven't experienced before, and we don't even know what kind of strings are going to be attached to that. The new group of people that you just want to hang out with and you want to be around, and something you want to invest your time, your money, your effort, your energy, your attention, your focus, something new showed up and that's where you want to be. Well, sometimes we forget to ask what kind of strings are attached to that. And how is that going to affect your faith, your discipleship, your current relationships with your loved ones? There, is, there are a lot of temptations hidden there, a lot of stumbling blocks going that road, and that's what Paul reminds people about. When you go to, for something new and shiny and interesting and exotic, something that's never been seen before, beware of the strings attached and what will be the price that you will pay for that. That's a temptation that's hard to resist. Now, the other two is about Israelites just being impatient. They're impatient. They're complaining uh, about the very long time it, gets, it takes them to get to the promised land. They are complaining about the food that they're eating. You know, this manna comes down from heaven. They call it disgusting food. We don't want that anymore. We deserve something better. Again, that's where I can start relating to them. I deserve something better, God. What you are giving me day to day to day, every single day, hmm, not good enough for me. Do you hear pride? That's one of the stumbling st uh, stones that, uh, that is on our way, stumbling blocks. I deserve something better, God. You owe me something better. Now, we probably would never say something like this out loud because we are Christians. You guys are showed up here in the church on Sunday morning. You would never some say something like this to God out loud. God, I deserve something better. Oh, God, you owe me something better. But we sometimes act that way. We do. We're not patient. Waiting for God to step into the middle of uncertainty that is in our lives is hard. So we settle for something easier. We settle for something that is more feasible, something more concrete. And so there are all kinds of temptations everywhere. Like I said, if we start spotting them around our lives, if I just give you right now a minute to sit down and kind of write, what, what, what jumped in your mind when I was right now explaining those temptations? Are there specific examples? Is there something that happened to you that you can relate to? Probably. And then when we put them all together, yeah, we are on the Russian road of stumbling blocks. They are everywhere. So what does that God say to us? First of all, look at verse 12. So you think, if you think you are standing, watch out that you do not fall. That's one thing that I highlighted for myself. If we sit here and think, that doesn't really apply to me, I'm good. I live very predictable, stable life. I have my routine. I have my community of faith. I have ways in which I practice my discipleship. I'm good. This sermon doesn't really speak to me. You know what? Paul knew people like that. He was probably one of those people himself. And that's why he's urging people to say, no, 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 no. Hang in there. That does concern you. And then he explains why. No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. No temptation has overtaken you that's not common. We are so predictable. Humans are so predictable, and in this game, if you think that, there, that temptations around you don't apply to you, you can't win. There are forces in this world, 
outside of love and grace and care and hope that God provides us that do want us to fail. There are forces in this world that are disruptive and destructive that put those stumbling blocks of temptation on our path. And we can't win on our own. If you think you are strong enough, that's good. But maybe you're not as strong as you think you are, because that's what Paul is saying. We are very predictable. So what does he tell us to do? So what is the way out? How do we overcome these temptations? Look at the first uh, part that Mike read. <clears throat> he talks there about baptism into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea. Now, is there some kind of a baptism that's in the Bible that we are not doing? You're right now like, what? Well, I, I was not baptized into Moses. There was nothing mentioned about the cloud and the sea when I was baptized. Don't worry about it. It's symbolic language. Paul is just preaching. But he's reminding people about his ba the baptism. Why is baptism important? Now, when we are dealing with temptations, when we are dealing with pride that feeds into those temptations, when we are thinking about different uh, ways in which it's just so easy for those different temptations to make their way into our lives. First of all, Paul tells us, remember your baptism. Now, you all probably here are uh, Christians. Some of you were baptized in this church or in another Methodist church. Some of you may have been baptized in another church. Our rituals are different. Sometimes the words are different. But probably during your baptism, something like this was said. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, so that baptized by the water and the Spirit, you may become a disciple of Christ. Something like this was probably spoken at your baptism, whether you remember it or not. Now, be, what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? This whole baptism shows you that this, uh, this is the time where we are pausing to celebrate something happening in your life that is the beginning of you becoming a disciple of Christ. This Wednesday, uh, we had uh, in our Bible study a great conversation about what it took, what was the ask that uh, Jesus was extending to people when he asked them to follow him. Now, those of you who were there on Wednesday, you know. Those of you who were not, you're like, okay, well, tell us. Okay, here's a, here's a five-second five summary. Jesus was actually asking a whole lot. Jesus asked a lot when he said, follow me. In his time, it meant literally drop everything, set aside the relationships, everything that you have that's meaningful to you, and from now on trust that following me is going to fulfill all of those needs over again. For us, it looks different. We are not called to drop everything, pack a weekend bag, and, you know, walk around Galilee following Jesus. In fact, we are called to be where we are. We are called to remain in our families, in our businesses, in our communities. This is where we are called to be the disciples of Christ. But it doesn't mean that our call to be a follower of Christ, to be a disciple of Christ, is any easier or is a smaller ask. It's still a really big ask. Because we need to figure out how to be where we are, but still follow Jesus and be more like him. 
Because that's what it meant back then. When you follow a rabbi, it's not just to take notes and you know, get all the lectures and uh, get all the sermons and remember something and then pass the quiz and then you get your graduation certificate, disciple of Christ, signed by Jesus, you're ready to go home. That's not how it worked. You commit for your entire life and the purpose is for you to become even more and more and more like your rabbi, like your Christ. It's a lifelong calling to be a disciple of Christ, and it takes everything from us. It requires us to rethink every aspect of our lives. How do we manage our finances like Jesus? How do we build relationships within our family, with our friends, and still be like Jesus? That's a huge ask. And all of that is wrapped in the ritual of baptism. Now, we don't re-baptize people. We don't um, give an expiration date on a baptism and say, okay, time for you to get baptized again. Your life needs some encouragement. You know, you need some fresh energy there, so let's baptize you. We don't do that. In fact, we don't re-baptize anybody. If you were baptized in another church and you come to us, we recognize every single baptism. But what we do is we regularly remind you of your baptism. About once a year, we have a special service and we remind you about your baptism because we forget. We forget, you know. How many times do you sit around and think, mm, my baptism, yeah, that was powerful. Mm. I wonder what those words meant. Oh yeah. I need to pray about that. We don't do that. We are normal people. We don't do that. That's why we need a worship service. That's why we need a preacher that will come and remind you what your baptism is about. Your baptism was a celebration of that big ask that Jesus extended to you to be his disciple. That is what Paul wants to remind the Corinthians. And then there is something else that he talks about there. He talks about... um, that in verse 4, they all drank the same spiritual drink, and uh, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed him, and the rock was Christ. And then before that, they all ate the same spiritual food. What is he talking about? Why is Paul not very concrete? Please, Paul, be more concrete with us. What he's talking about is communion. He's reminding them about communion. So he reminded them about their baptism, and then he said, all right, and then there is something else that you do every single time you come together, just like we do here in the gathering. We receive communion. Now, why is communion important? How does communion help us to overcome temptations? How does communion help us to get into that humble spirit that is opposite of pride that feeds us to temptations? What does communion have to do with it? Everything. Because communion is that ritual that takes, here in the gathering, probably seven minutes, maybe ten. But during communion, we are put every single Sunday right there in front of the cross, and we walk through the, from the cross to the resurrection of Jesus. Every single Sunday we're here, we have a mini Easter happening. Right when you come here, humbly holding your hands open, you receive the bread that is the body of Christ. Then in one way or another, you receive the juice that reminds you of the blood of Christ that was shed for you. Now, why? Why is it important to remind us? Because it tells us this is what God was willing to do on his behalf to provide for us ways to fulfill the call 
to be the disciple of Christ. God already put his part. God already provided everything we need, not just to overcome the temptations, but to live a life that's truly a life of being a disciple of Christ. God has done it. And we celebrate it here. And, and today, as uh, just in a few minutes, we will come down and you will receive the bread and the juice. I do want you to put yourself right there at the cross and think of the power that the cross communicates to you, the power that God imparts on you and tells you, please take it. Take it. It's yours. I am with you. And that is how God helps us overcome any kind of temptation. He provides us means to endure it. He doesn't bubble wrap us. He doesn't remove the stumbling blocks from our ways when we pass our test of being disciples of Christ. Check, done, we're good to go. From now on, your life is just going to be smooth. Nope, they don't go anywhere. What God provides is means of grace, sacraments, those rituals that are like a reality check that we need very often. Remember your baptism. You were called to be the disciple of Christ, the follower. That's a huge ask. Remember the communion that you take every Sunday. That is a reminder of the power and the love and the sacrifice of God that he put in. And that is how we approach the temptations, the stumbling blocks, the pride, the feeling that we're entitled to something, when we get impatient with God, when we are grumping, when we are complaining, when we just feel like it's not enough. Well, God says there is a reality check that I'm presenting to you. Your baptism already happened. Please take communion. Right now, we're going to be praying, and uh, oh, we will pray Taizé prayer. It's a very special ritual uh, that we're doing through Lent, and Thomas will lead us. There will be parts that you sing. There will be parts that I will say out loud. But all of it is prayer. It's prayer to God. Thomas. our pride, we confess it is not always easy to walk humbly. We confess that we make judgments upon who is worthy of your mercy. We think we know who is deserving your love. Forgive us for not loving as you have loved. We tend to be smug and glowed with undue pride instead of acknowledging our dependence on you and on others. my prayer us. Your goodness and kindness go beyond our understanding. 
Your grace is richer and more profound than we can begin to comprehend. Yet, despite your gracious love and faithful care, we often go our own way and trust our own resources. Time after time, we choose our plans over your will. Over and over again, our pride, self-reliance, and selfishness lead us astray. acknowledge your presence and your grace in our lives. We prefer to take credit for what we do right and blame others for what goes wrong and dismiss our weakness, self-righteousness, and pride as insignificant. We want to be regarded as being strong rather than relying on your strength. We want to be in control rather than yield to you. merciful God and help us daily in our ongoing struggle with pride. Enable us to accept the forgiveness you so graciously offer to us and show us how to live a forgiven and forgiving life. Teach us the right balance of pride and humility. Instruct us in living with humble self-esteem Help us, O oh Lord, to follow the way that leads to abundant life in you. Saving God, long ago you rescued your chosen people from slavery and brought them to freedom in the land you had promised them. Give us the courage to put our trust in you. Raise us out of the paralysis of guilt into freedom and energy of loved and forgiving people. Set us free from pride and arrogance and bring us home to you. 